Welcome to Adventology, the podcast dedicated to helping you be ready for Jesus. Here now is the host of Adventology, Travis Walker. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a brand new episode of Adventology. As you know, everything we do on this podcast is designed to help you be ready for Jesus. And I am so excited to get into today's topic We are continuing our study from last week of Genesis chapter 1 and 2 on the creation. And this week, we are going to be focusing on the two theological concepts of marriage and the seventh day. And these are foundational principles for the Christian religion that are referred to time and again throughout the Bible. So, We really want to get a good foundation here, and I'm sure we will do that today. But before we do that, I want to get into a question that was shared by Chris in response to our last episode. Chris asks us this. He said, why didn't you talk more about the difference between the way God created man in Genesis 1 versus Genesis 2? And that is a great question, Chris. So let's get right into it. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, the Bible says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. So right here, we see a formula that God used to create man, and it's very clear. We see that God created us from the dust of the ground, breathed into us, the breath of life, and we became a living being or we became a soul. So one of the first things we learn from this passage is that we don't have a soul. We are souls. In other words, the Bible doesn't say anything about a little person living inside that God put into us at creation. In fact, it says quite the opposite, that God stooped down into the ground and intimately formed us from the dust of the ground, and that our first recollection of life came when he breathed into us his breath. Essentially, he kissed us into life, because the moment that we opened our eyes, the first face we saw was Jesus. I love that. And in Genesis 1, we see the focus is more on the word of God and the power of God's word to do exactly what it says. But in Genesis 2, God wants us to see that he's a relational God. Yes, he's powerful, but he's more than just this distant, powerful God that spoke us into existence. No, he's the God that got down into the dirt. He's the God that formed us from the ground, and he created us uniquely and wonderfully and beautifully in his own image. And so, This is a challenge, right? Because we live in a world today that totally accepts this idea that we have immortal souls. And we're going to see the reason why this is such an insidious doctrine later on, especially in our next episode. But throughout this series, this season, we're going to see time and time again 
how God wants us to understand that we're not immortal. Nothing about us is immortal. We are completely dependent upon him for life. And if we don't have life, we just return to the dust where we came from. In fact, the Bible says such in Psalm chapter 104, verses 29 and 30. You take away their breath, they die and return to the dust. You send forth your spirit, and they are created. So this is the Bible truth, that we are not dualistic. Our body and soul are not brought together in some sort of mystic combination from two separate places. No, the Bible says that both body and spirit are an integrated whole. And it was the way God created us from the beginning. So thank you again, Chris, for that wonderful comment. And it gave us an opportunity to look more deeply into the nature of man. But for now, if you have any questions, if you have a comment, please reach out to me, Travis at Adventology. You can email me or you can reach out to me on Instagram at Pastor T. Walk. I would love to hear your comments and questions. We will address them here at the beginning of each new episode. So let's get right into the main topic of our episode today. We find that the topic of the seventh day is going to be the first that we cover. And last week, we focused more on the creation of the first six days. So let's get into Genesis chapter 2, where the Bible described what God did on the seventh day. So let's go there now. It says, Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished, And on the seventh day, God ended his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because he rested from all his work which God had created and made. So there are three important things that God did on the seventh day according to the Bible. Number one, God rested. Number two, God blessed it. And number three, God sanctified it. Now, we really have to understand how all three of these integrate if we're going to properly understand the importance and significance of the seventh day in the life of humanity. And at least that was God's intention from the beginning. Number one, we see that God rested. Now, God didn't rest because he was tired. The Hebrew here is really saying that God ceased from his work on the seventh day. And why was that the case? Uh, Because God was satisfied. God was resting in his completed work. It's, It's like you do something, you work hard on something, and you just sit back and you get to enjoy the work of your hands. And so essentially, that's what God is saying he's doing here. He's taking the time to sit back, enjoy, and participate in the work of his own creation. And he also blessed it. Now, we're going to get back to that in a minute. And then the Bible says he sanctified it or he made it holy. Now, this is a very important concept as well because 
the only things in the Bible that are sanctified or are made holy are things in which God is either present in or that God is in possession of. So, for instance, we find that the Bible is called the Holy Bible. Why is it holy? Because it contains the words of God. And so, since it contains the words of God, it is holy because God's presence essentially exists in his word. We find other places that are described as holy, for instance, like the temple, right? The temple was holy. Why? Because God's presence dwelt there. And that is reiterated over and over. And when we get further on in our study and we get into a study of the sanctuary, we're going to come back to this concept again. But then we find the concept of tithing, right? The Bible tells us that the tithe is holy. Why is that? Because according to the Bible, the tithe belongs to God. And when we fail to return a tithe from all of our increase, the Bible says we are in essence stealing from him. Why? Because it belongs to him. And so anything that belongs to God or God is present in is holy. So the significance to the seventh day being called sanctified or holy then become, I think, self-evident, right? In other words, God is saying here that he is present in the day itself. You know, the Jewish scholars have often referred to the seventh day as a sanctuary in time. It is the time that God chooses in a special way to spend with us. And this becomes the reason why God asks us to keep the Sabbath holy. That becomes one of the Ten Commandments. The fourth commandment itself says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shall you labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. So we see here that God is asking us to participate in resting in his completed work, not our own. Because if you think about it, the seventh day for Adam and Eve was in fact their first day, right? Before they did any work, they rested. Their first full day on this earth was spending time with their creator, enjoying his presence, enjoying his created work. And that gives us an insight into how we should spend our seventh days today. A day that we go and make special effort to spend time with God and to enjoy his created works, to go out in nature and to remember that he is our creator, that he is our God. We are not gods ourselves. We didn't make ourselves. We are made in his image. And this is something that we easily forget when we don't take the time to spend with him. Now, of course, the third concept that we find here in the description of the seventh day is that God blessed it. You know, a lot of people consider Sabbath-keeping works. And I always, cracks me up because how can resting be a work? You know, it is a blessing to rest on the seventh day. And there's a number of reasons for that. Well, number one, 
Resting on the seventh day reminds us that the Sabbath is a gift just like salvation. You know, we don't work in order to be saved. The Bible says we are saved by grace, not of works. And and so it's the same thing with the Sabbath. We rest not because we created the earth, but God did. We're resting in his created work. And salvation is the same thing. It's a gift. We accept it by faith. We accept it as coming from God. And when we embrace the gift of salvation, then we go out and do good works, not in order to be saved, but because we are saved. We keep the commandments not to be saved, but because we are saved. And we go out and work six days, not in order to rest, but because we have rested on the seventh day. So the seventh day becomes a catalyst through which the energy for the coming week is given to us. And it's something that we look forward to at the end of each week, that time with God, spending with him. And some would say, well, I don't have time to rest. Well, guess what? The Bible gives you a get-out-of-jail-free card, in essence, for that excuse, because we find again and again that God promises to bless you more in six days if you rest on the seventh than you would if you would have worked all seven days. And one of the best ways that God describes that blessing is in the giving of the manna to the children of Israel when they were coming out of Egypt and walking through the wilderness. God gave them manna six days, but on the sixth day, he gave them a double portion so that they wouldn't have to work on the seventh day, that they could rest. And and thus, they didn't gain any more by working the extra day, and they didn't lose anything by resting. And I think that's what God wants us to understand. You know, we're not going to get ahead by working seven days a week. We're just going to get farther and farther behind. In fact, so many of us are overwhelmed. We're burdened. We're heavy laden. We're carrying guilt. We're carrying worry. We're carrying fear. We're trying to win the rat race, but all we find is that we're spinning the wheels. It doesn't feel like we're getting anywhere. But God wants us to take a rest. He says, you need to seek me first in the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then all these things will be added unto you. Matthew 6, 33. Jesus, even further in Matthew 11, has this beautiful promise for us. And Jesus himself says this, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, my friend, when you combine the ceasing of your labor and the spending of that quality time with Jesus, combine those two things together on the seventh day and all that burden gets wiped away everything that you've been carrying the guilt the shame the fear the anxiety it's gone because you begin to realize it's not about you it's about trusting 
Jesus. And his promise is that his burden will be light. That you don't have anything to worry about. When you put your trust in him, he will walk with you every step of the way so that the burden never gets beyond what you can bear. And I think that is so important. And that's the peace that passes understanding that the Bible so often refers to when we find our rest in Christ. It's not just a spiritual rest, it's a physical rest. God wants you to take a break. God wants your body, mind, and spirit to rest in his presence. And he wants you to do it on the seventh day. Of course, we're not only introduced to the institution of Sabbath in Genesis chapter 2, but also the institute of marriage. And so we find this text in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. The Bible says, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. So this text is followed up right away by the description of God bringing each of the animals before Adam, and Adam names each one. But after a while, he begins to see that all the animals have a helper comparable to themselves except him. And so it's at the moment that Adam recognizes his need, his desire for companionship, that God puts him to sleep. And so we find that God lays him down, puts him to sleep, and then the Bible describes God taking the rib out of Adam's side and creating Eve. And of course, just like Adam, the first person that Eve saw when she came to consciousness was Jesus. And then you can imagine Jesus and Eve going over to Adam and waking him up, and Adam looking into Eve's eyes for the first time. Wow, what a beautiful sight he must have beheld, right? And so that's why I often joke, the reason he called her woman, because he said, whoa, man, when he saw her. And that was God's intent and purpose in creating Eve. She was to be his companion. She was to be his second self. You know, I've been encouraging you to read Patriarchs and Prophets as a companion to this podcast. And one of the quotes from that book is this, Eve was created from a rib taken from the side of Adam, signifying that she was not to control him as the head, nor to be trampled under his feet as an inferior, but to stand by his side as an equal, to be loved and protected by him. I love that, right? So we see that patriarchy was not God's will, and neither was feminism. It was always God's will that male and female should be complementary to one another, that they were to live in harmony with one another, that they would be equal with one another, that they were to provide each other pleasure and companionship and friendship for the rest of eternity. That was God's plan. In fact, if you look at Genesis chapter 1 and you go back and see how God was creating man in his image, it's very specific that the image of God wasn't just man, it was male and female. And that makes sense because God is not singular, God is plural. And so humanity is not singular either. You see, I think a lot of the problems we're facing with confusion over sexuality and gender is a result of us taking this individualistic view of sexuality, this individualistic view of gender 
and we are deciding in our own minds who we are instead of turning to God and asking him who we are because we can only know who we are in Christ. Yes, biology, of course, tells us our gender by birth, but it's only by looking into the face of Jesus that we truly understand who we are and that God can truly disentangle the confusion of gender in this LGBTQ confusion about marriage. As you can see, the Bible gives no room for an alternative definition to marriage. The Bible's definition of marriage is male and female. In fact, if you continue reading in the text, the Bible goes on to say that, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. There's no other relationship in the Bible that is described as becoming one flesh than a husband and a wife. Other than in the New Testament, we see that same concept being described as our relationship with God through Christ Jesus. And so the relationship between husband and wife was to be a picture of our relationship with God. God's relationship with himself is a pluralistic relationship. God is love is because he has someone to love that is one with him. And marriage is to be the same thing. We are to love our husband. We are to love our wife because they are one with us. It was never God's plan to see the two separated. Divorce, the Bible says God hates divorce. God speaks again and again about the sin of divorce is what causes so much of the crime. The sin of misunderstanding the purpose of sexualities creates these unsecure homes and causes children to be raised in environments that are not giving them what they need to grow into healthy adulthood. And we have an epidemic in our society today because we have lost this appreciation of marriage and the family. And so God is telling us today, go back to the beginning, go back to Genesis, understand where you come from, understand whose image you were made in, understand that marriage is to be a lifelong commitment between a male and a female. Now, of course, that doesn't mean everybody has to get married. We know that. But sexuality outside of the marriage relationship, it only brings damage. It only brings confusion. It only brings chaos. So whatever you may be dealing with in your life right now, you know, it, it it's not that God can't forgive the past. We've all made mistakes. We've all committed sexual sins. We've all probably had some shame connected to sexuality in our past. Maybe some of us are divorced. Maybe some of us were abused. You know, there's so much trauma in this area, and I'm not going to pretend to be a psychologist I don't know exactly what you've been going through in your life, but I just want you to know today that no matter what, God loves you. And God wants to redeem you and restore you in his image. And his promise is that he will do that. So, you know, if you have a question about today's episode, I want to encourage you again to reach out to me at Travis at I'd be happy to answer it. If you were blessed by today's episode, I want to encourage you to rate and review us. Leave a one-sentence review. Give us five-star. You know, everything you can do to help 
others find this podcast because when you do that, it helps others to see that you were blessed by it. And I appreciate it. I'd love it if you subscribed and shared an episode that you were blessed by with a friend or a family member. So as you know, this podcast is all about being ready for Jesus. So what did today's episode have to do with being ready for Jesus? Well, number one, the Sabbath will become a source of conflict in the last days. And this is because the Sabbath is a part of the Ten Commandments. And as we will see in later episodes, it's the devil's goal to separate us from God by getting us to break God's law. And once we break God's law and we are consciously doing so, the devil has control over us. And so God wants to free us from his control. God wants to give us victory. And in the last days, everyone is going to have to make a decision about whether they're going to follow God and keep his law or follow man and keep his. So the Sabbath becomes intricate, not only in the conflict, but we also see it's so important in understanding how to get through the last days, right? The Sabbath teaches us to trust in God and to rest in his promise. We're going to have to do that to make it through the last days. And finally, we also see that marriage plays an important symbolic role in the book of Revelation. We see the difference between the harlot and the bride of Christ, and that God is calling his people to become part of the bride who is waiting for their Savior to come and take them home. So, once again... I want to thank you for joining us on another episode of Aventology. Be ready for Jesus. Speak life, live love, and until next time, Maranatha. We gotta stay awake because nobody knows a day at time. No, the trumpet's gonna blow and the skies are gonna open
Jesus is coming back.